that thing I'm sure you see often of like eating more, mm-hmm. but still not, or even enough to like go up a clothing size, put on some healthy weight, but not enough to really get the body comfortable to ovulate. Was ready to start this family. My husband's older than me. Sick of being on this weight gain journey anyway. I was doing it, DIYing it independently. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, and turn to IVF. Welcome to the Period Recovery and Fertility Podcast. Here we discuss the challenging, rewarding, and life-changing process of recovering your period and finding freedom with food and exercise. Whether you're hoping to regain your cycle to get your health back on track, or you're ready to become a mama, this podcast is for you. While the recovery process isn't always rainbows and butterflies, it's my hope to bring you both information and inspiration during your own recovery journey. I'm your host, registered dietitian and fellow HA woman, Lindsay Lawson. Hi, hi, friends. I'm so excited to bring on one of my past clients, Summer. Welcome, Summer. Thank you. I'm going to read your bio real quick, and then let's just jump in and chat. So (laughs) Summer Mastin is an an actor and acting coach living in Los Angeles with her husband, Skylar. Thanks to Lindsay, Emily, and Period Recovery, Skylar and Summer are expecting their first child in September, which is next month. That's crazy. Summer is an NYU Tisch alum, loves red hot chili peppers, and the Kansas City Chiefs. Interesting. Okay, so Summer, why Kansas City Chiefs? That's where I grew up. So what brought you to LA? Was it acting? Yeah. And actually by way of New York. I don't know. I feel like that's, I lived in New York for seven years. That's where I went to school at NYU. And so I, I don't know, Kansas to New York to LA always feels like important for me to include that it wasn't just straight like Kansas City to LA. Um, So I moved to LA in 2017 to be with a boy who is actually not my husband now, um, an (laughs) ex-boyfriend. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's the other place where I could be an actor besides New York. And it's a pretty easy sell. Like, it's so beautiful here. My gosh. And Summer and I were just talking before I pushed record about, like, I'm in Texas. It's like 106 here. And she was like, does it get hot? And I was like, it's pretty hot. Pretty hot here. Well, hey, Summer, one of the things that I love, like, before we even started working together is um, we hopped on a discovery call and I got to meet Skylar, your husband. Mm -hmm. And so it was just so cool to get to, like, hear about your little family and hear a bit about your infertility journey. Can you share with listeners, like, what happened up until you decided to kind of start addressing the underlying cause of your infertility, like share, like bring everybody up to speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Shout out to the hubs. So (laughs) supportive. Uh, Never shamed, never blamed. I feel like I honestly, I have to take it way back and I'll try to make it short and we can dig into anything that we want to dig into more. But I, I first lost my period my senior year of high school. So about 17, 18, was on the dance team getting ready for our spring show. Wanted to look a certain way in my costumes, mm-hmm. right? And it got worse when I went to college as far as the food restriction and dropping of the weight. And then I, like, my sort of punishment slash recovery from my family was coming home to Kansas between semesters. Like ideally I would have stayed in New York between my freshman year and my sophomore year, but it was like, young lady, you get your keister home and we got to figure this out. Like, you, you know, I looked unwell. So at the same time, I went on the birth control pill and that was kind of part of family, not really educating themselves on what's going on, just kind of throwing solutions 
Mm-hmm. At the thing without really going into any sort of core of it. So I went on the pill then without getting my period back and stayed on it for 10 years. Yeah. So probably masking, if not the whole time, like the vast majority of the time, I do feel like I got back on track and my head on straight as far as food and reframing that uh, story for myself, understanding that we need to eat to be alive here on the planet every day, many times. Fast forward 10 years, we were on the birth control pill, got married, then went off the pill in May 2020, not a period to be found. Three months later, started seeing August 2020, started seeing a fancy functional medicine doctor. And it was interesting. And I still kind of can't get over this. We ran all of these labs and they knew I had to gain weight, but like they didn't refer me to period recovery or Nicola's all in method or that Mm -hmm. there's literally, you know, this beautiful book very specifically (laughs) on this condition, hypothalamic amenorrhea, no period, now what? It's like they had a hint at what to do. And I was purposely staying off the internet because I was like, I am just going to listen to my doctor. And I felt like, no, it's a functional medicine doctor. I'm really, you know, I'm not with the bad doctors. I'm with, (laughs) you know, they, they know what's up. Let me just stay in my lane. So I wasn't doing any sort of independent research and I was able to gain some weight through working with them, but I, I, it was hard and I did put on a good amount, not enough to bring my period back. And I still wasn't doing like all in style. Like I was missing mm-hmm. that piece of the puzzle of like, no, we got to go for it. it. Like you got to create the surplus. Yeah. And that thing I'm sure you see often of like eating more, mm-hmm. but still not, or even enough to like go up a clothing size, put on some healthy weight, but not enough to really get the body comfortable to ovulate. So was ready to start this family. My husband's older than me and turned to IVF. We were doing all of our introductory. There's a bunch of red tape and tests you have to go through. Like they literally are like, do you have malaria? Let's just make sure before we do IVF, there's like a million introductory tests you have to do. And one of them is a semen analysis. And my partner like flunk, he got like a bad score on the semen And so that like tipped me over the edge. I was so sick of being on this weight gain journey anyway. I was doing it, DIYing it independently. Mm -hmm. Then I was just like, I'm done with this. Let's, let's bring in the big guns. Let's bring in the science. This, this is so sucky. Um, And I was just like ready, ready to have my baby. And I felt like I really tried. Yeah. Um, But you know, the semen analysis, like it just like the female hormones can change. So can theirs. It was like one test on one random day, which I didn't really understand at the time. I was like, well, if my partner's junk is rubbish, like then what are, I can keep gaining weight all I want and trying at this. But if that part of the equation is off, like it sounds like I might need IVF anyway. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I could definitely see that would be really, that would be a really frustrating spot to be because you're doing things that are uncomfortable for you in hopes of getting to that end result of pregnancy. And then, you know, you find out some other news. And I've worked with a couple of people that have had kind of additional like things in the way of their fertility journey. And that can definitely make, you know, the whole recovery process feel like it's 
not worth it. So what'd you do next? I spent 2022 doing IVF. I had to do two egg retrievals to get two embryos. We like very tragically lost our best embryo um, due to me getting COVID testing positive the night before my scheduled embryo transfer, but they had already thawed the embryo, the clinic had. So then they put it back in the freezer and then like rethought it in time for the transfer, which you're not even supposed to do with like a piece of chicken, to be clear, like freezing. Yeah. Re- yeah. You know, Good. defrost and then refreeze. Good safety 101. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we then for that, after two egg retrievals, we were, you know, doing the embryo transfer. Finally, we'd rescheduled it after I got better from COVID and started this cycle all over again, found out our first embryo didn't survive the thaw, had to move on to our second embryo, which they grade them. And our second embryo was a was not a strong. And I was at a way healthier weight than like any sort of low point I'd been at. But I, st- I wasn't at the weight I was at when I did get my cycle back. Who's okay. to say whether it was just a numbers thing. So it failed that embryo transfer. Mm -hmm. And we'll never know exactly why, but I didn't quite have the weight on me that I had when I did start ovulating. The embryo was not as strong. And then also, you know, they just quoted me at the very beginning for my age. They said it's a 60 to 70% success rate, which is good, but also 30 to 40% failure. So who's to say? Yeah. Um, That was our last embryo. And then I, I knew in the back of my mind, I was going to give period recovery a go again because I think I had like stumbled onto you and your work when I was deep into IVF already and kind of got this sinking feeling in my stomach of like oh no this is what I needed six months ago Mm -hmm. or whatever the timeline was what always kept me going during my infertility process was having a plan and so I knew that if the embryo transfer failed that would be my next step okay reaching out to you yeah <laughs> well I'm glad I was playing D and I'm glad that it ended up, you know <laughs> working working for you but let's get back to IVF because I yeah. think that a lot of people listening have either been here or they're like kind of weighing their pros and cons you went through two cycles and only ended up with two embryos what is it walk us through like how long a cycle takes what that feels like like you know why you know People sometimes think IVF is the easy way out because they can get pregnant faster. It doesn't sound like it was necessarily that way for you. Talk to us a little bit more about that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was super slow. Comparatively too, now in hindsight, I have this experience of getting pregnant naturally uh, via period (laughs) recovery. It was like super quick. It's not just the number of eggs you retrieve. I think what the surprising thing is, you know, we were so excited. We weren't really given a heads up. I like got a decent number of eggs on the first retrieval, but then you join them with the sperm. And then it's a numbers game. You only so many survive as they continue to fertilize the eggs. And that's just what happens. That how That's how it works for everyone. And it's totally like out of your control. There's not really anything you can do as far as, oh, well, like they had a bunch of theirs die off. Mm-hmm. It's not like, it's just how it works. Yeah. So I don't know. I do always worry about like women freezing their eggs because it's like, well, that's, 
part of it, there's this whole other component though of creating the zygote or whatever the exact terminology is of joining it with the sperm. And then that's a whole process where only so many make it each time. Right, right. And so you were hopeful at the beginning because you guys got a lot of eggs and you were told, all right, you know, 60 to 70% chance this is going to work, which is pretty good. I mean, that's double what we typically say in a natural cycle, anywhere from like 20 to 35%. Um, So like, I get that. But so was there any like, you're saying, you know, we'll never actually know why those ones didn't take. Like, what does your hunch tell you about why those cycles didn't work for you? I'll always think of that first embryo because it they grade them in two categories. I can't remember what they are, but ours, yeah. it was like a double A. It was an AA embryo. Okay. And something else I thought to mention is that we we know we want more than one child, ideally. So when we had one embryo after the first round, I was like, well, let's just keep going because they said we could try to transfer that embryo without doing another retrieval, move on to the transfer. But since we knew we wanted more than one child eventually, and I'm I'm assuming IVF is the only way I can get pregnant at this point. Right. It felt like the other option would be like doing a retrieval. Yeah. Going through the retrieval process with like a one or a two year old, which sounded really daunting. Yeah. Um, it was already a lot like being without that. Yeah. So I was like, let me just repeat another retrieval, try to get those those puppies in the storage now. Which kind of makes sense too, because you'd be younger. You could potentially have Egg quality. quality eggs. Um, but real quick, Summer, so you said like it sounds like the retrieval mm-hmm. was not a cakewalk because you were like, I don't want to do this when I have a one or two year old. So what made retrieval so hard? It's very, very demanding. Um, You inject yourself or you can have someone do it for you. I found it easier to do it myself. You inject yourself every day with hormones and those hormones have, it's different for each person, but they can have like wild, wild side effects. And then you, your ovaries start to grow as a result um, and that's uncomfortable. <laughs> like by the end, you're feeling like swollen. Like the way I described it is like, oh, I feel pregnant with my ovaries. Yeah. Um, before too. Yeah. And you don't exercise during that whole stimulation process because of this like super scary thing that can happen called ovarian torsion. Yeah. And it's just a big commitment. Uh, you know, you're not drinking during that time caffeine's at a certain level i'm sure there's other stuff but those are that's like the things i can remember and it's uh you're doing this trigger shot at this very specific time you're going in for monitoring every couple of days to see how your follicles are growing and it's also just an emotional roller coaster yeah. And so, something forget I can't remember if the lozenges are for the transfer or what are lozenges? You're gonna have to clarify for us. It's these hormones. I think it's progesterone actually that you stick under your tongue like three times a day. I think there's a component of those getting ready for the retrieval as well. And mine were like grape flavored and so gross. So it was physically uncomfortable. There were like a lot of disruptions, it sounds like to your routine, of course, you know, with recovery, exercise is something, you know, we're changing anyways, but like with the caffeine yeah. and the timing, sounds like too, like 
like a time commitment because I'm thinking about like these appointments and like even if you just think about your morning routine it's like oh I can't just brush my teeth put on my makeup and do the things like well I'm sure the hormones had to be administered at like specific times and so I think a lot of times people are like oh well if that doesn't work I'll just do IVF and I think that like it's really important that people understand that if that's the route you choose you don't just do IVF that it is just this big like commitment oh yeah that may or may not work like sorry to say yeah Uh, yeah sure and I think I think that that's important to you know talk about too because yeah 60 percent sounds good it is higher than a natural cycle but you know the heartache that could come with a failed cycle so are you comfortable sharing kind of like what that felt like in terms of like you guys went you know put this time and energy and, and and money into these cycles and then and then what the money we haven't t- even touched on the money. Yeah, I mean, I mean whatever you feel comfortable sharing. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think it's I think it's good for people to know because I want people to know one that you know you can go this route. That's fine. Some people do have the means, but talk to us a little bit about it. Yeah, it. it I mean, it's going to be a, a cheap retrieval site, and that's just getting your eggs is going to be like twenty two thousand. That's like a low ballpark, probably more after medications. And of course, you're going to want to pick like the best clinic (laughs) around. For sure. You know, and so we, I mean, we had our, my in-laws paid for a cycle and my parents paid for a cycle. We were super fortunate to have them. And then the transfer is an expense too. That's like not include, that's not like complimentary with your retrieval. It's a whole other expense to do the transfer too. Um, and listen, so many people get there. That's how they get their baby. And if IVF is how you get your baby, like I'm, I'm not anti IVF, but I would just like urge anyone with HA to exhaust recovery options first. Don't do it like I did. Mm -hmm. Um, having Mm -hmm. the expenses paid energetically, emotionally, and financially, and then do recovery. Yeah. 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 I think that I was like fortunate in the sense that I watched a pretty close friend go through IVF before my husband and I thought about starting a family. And so when I was given the option of I like I already knew that wasn't what I wanted to do. And so I when I started my recovery journey, it was all about how can I not end up in IVF? And so my hope for anyone listening is just that this just like Summer said like let's let IVF be your plan B and recovery be your plan A, not the vice versa. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's all of that ultimately for a chance, for a chance for it to work. It's not a guarantee. Yeah. (laughs) Well, let's talk about recovery and why that's been, why that was so hard. I mean, I think anyone listening knows that that's also not like both of these choosing pregnancy through IVF and natural pregnancy through HA recovery, neither of these are actually the easiest things in the world. But let's talk a little bit more about your story. So like being an actor living in LA, I think that like the pressures that you face like for your job are pretty high around body and body image and body, you know, needing to look a certain way. Tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit more about how you feel that played into how you got HA and maybe like what kind of kept you from not getting your period? You know, I think like around 2020, when I was first working with the functional medicine doctor, it became really tricky. I was really like reluctant to 
own up to any sort of eating disorder or any sort of restrictive eating. Because now, now what I re- I was doing intermittent fasting. <laughs> so what was going on is that I had completely destroyed my hunger cues. Destroyed. Yeah, you know, yeah. they were nowhere to be found. And so doctors would, you know, my doctor would confront me and I'd be like, oh my God, what do you want from me? I eat when I'm hungry. I stop when I'm full. I'm honoring all my hunger cues. Like, so what? I start the day with a coffee and wait a little bit to eat breakfast. Like, isn't that what everyone's doing right now? Like, I was super, you know, I was just like, I have done this already. I have worked on this. I've addressed it. Don't try to tell me I'm 18 year old summer again. I'm at a very different place right now, you know, and I was, but I do think that was really difficult without having, cause I didn't know that I destroyed my hunger cues. I think yeah. deep down, I had to know that like, sweetheart, <laughs> you're not eating a healthy amount. Yeah. But in that 2020 time, like I was, I wasn't coming from a place of let me shrink my body. I think I was stressed out from COVID um, and coping with things a little bit using falling back on. I feel like a lot of people during the pandemic kind of fell back on old stuff. Definitely. Yes. You You mentioned that, you know, you were doing the intermittent fasting and that your functional med doctor was kind of like, Hey, like you need to eat more. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like you kind of pushed back. Do you think um, that might have played into further recommendations that doctor would have made? Right. Cause like in, you know, as a practitioner, if I'm making recommendations and there's pushback from a client, I'm not going to, well, I kind of like to push people, but I'm I'm only going to push to a certain point, right? Like if I've got somebody that's like, uh, Lindsay, I am not going to gain weight. I'm not gaining past a certain number. I'll probably say, well, we may not be a great fit to work together. Um, (laughs) You know, like you can't do the work for you. So do you think that some of your resistance might've played into the recommendations or do you feel like that specific doctor you worked with maybe wasn't fully educated on how to really heal from HA? I think they weren't fully educated. That's where I wish to God they would have said, I have the perfect book for you. Please read No Period Now What? Because I do really, really well with um, data. It doesn't overwhelm me. I find it extremely comforting. And they do such an amazing job in that book of like woman after woman after woman after woman after woman after woman after woman. woman. Like it's not just three three testimonials from the authors. It's like, they just keep them coming. So by the time you're, you know, a quarter of the way through the book, you're like, oh, I guess I'm not the unicorn. And they explain so well what's happening to you. And I would have understood, like, I did push back really hard at my doctor when they were like, can you mix in a snack? Because I was like, I'm not hungry for an extra snack. I don't need an afternoon snack. I didn't feel unhealthy. I felt really good and energized, probably running on cortisol. (laughs) (laughs) but I didn't I didn't feel remarkably don't know how but I didn't feel like weak or undernourished yeah and I think a lot of people really struggle with that too because in your mind in your routine you are healthy and it just doesn't make sense that you aren't getting your period because in your mind you are thriving you are maybe eating more than you ever have you might you know, especially when we start comparing back to maybe a more restrictive time, we're like, yeah, but I'm not that anymore. And I also really appreciate what you said, Summer, about like, 
I'm not 18 year old summer anymore. Like I have overcome this period of my life where I, you know, maybe was a little bit too extreme with food. And that can feel really frustrating because you think you've come so far and yet here we are. What was your light bulb moment that things did need to change, that you did need to eat that snack, even though you weren't hungry, and that you may not be still, still, even though feeling and looking healthy, you still may not be where your body wanted to be for fertility. Like, what was your light bulb moment? Looking at my, so I got married twice, (laughs) but uh, I had a 2020 wedding and a 2021 wedding. And in my 2020 wedding pictures, I look awful. I look so thin. Like I, uh, it's like upsetting for me to think about now because I don't want to like, you know, my husband like put a picture of like that day in a frame, which was like a really beautiful day when we read our vows to each other and married on the beach in Malibu, a small COVID wedding, but really beautiful. And I am so ashamed of how I look. I'm so ashamed. I like, I look like a Holocaust survivor, like I've been in Auschwitz or something. Mm-hmm. And it it does bring up a lot of shame because it's like, who's responsible for that? Me, you know? But I think also to circle back to what you said about COVID is it was kind of, it was a hard time for a lot of people. And I think when somebody has a history of using food and exercise to cope, you only did what you knew, you know? Yeah. But I get it. I mean, you know, there's always going to be kind of that shame piece. And so it sounds like maybe at the time we didn't realize that we were unhealthy, looked unhealthy. Um, but then seeing those photos a couple of years later really helped things come full circle. So let's go back to your IVF cycles. Got one embryo. Did you? And then you, so we ended up getting two embryos before we moved on to a transfer. And then... Okay. And then we transferred, transfers did not take or walk us through that part of it. Yeah. So then we transferred our second embryo because we lost that first one in the thaw. And um, the first one was a boy and the second one was a girl. And, you know, I, I still have the picture from her, her transfer, a tiny little speck in my uterus. And she, you know, she didn't take, she didn't take. And uh, that was a Friday at the end of October. And I think I spoke with you on like a Monday or a Tuesday. And I had like an all in style dinner that night. So you had kind of the idea of all in in the back of your mind, even going through these transfers. Yes or no? Yeah, I can't remember when exactly it was that I stumbled into like this very specific protocol to heal HA. Because it was just so vague with my functional medicine doctors, you know, they were literally like, just like adding a, add in some potatoes at dinner. Like, do you think that's yeah. going to do anything to move? Yeah, the yeah, <laughs> I know. And I do think that I do think that's a huge gap is people really don't understand the caloric demand of what it takes to get your period back. Um, to be fair, I always like to tell people that like, most doctors, I think functional med doctors might have a little bit more, um, but most doctors get at best 10 hours of nutrition during their entire like seven to 10 years of training to become a medical doctor. And so like, do not expect your doctor to be a nutrition expert. You know, that's why we have dietitians. But so we learned about the more specific things we needed to do to get our period back. What was your initial reaction? Reaction Like whenever, let's talk about like, you know, you and I meeting for the first time, you decided you were going to enroll in the program, you get some of the program materials. What were your first kind of thoughts about like what needed to change with food and exercise? 
I brought Lindsay like a a very like athletic mentality to it, like competitive mentality. Like I really resonated with the term all in. I don't, I know you don't necessarily like use that in York, but it really like resonated for me of like, let's go. And I just kept telling myself, I didn't know if it'd be true or not, but I kept telling myself like the sooner you commit to this, the sooner it will be over. Because for the first four (laughs) or five days, it was really fun. And then I very quickly, it was like, I hate this. This is so terrible. And (laughs) I was mad. I spent a lot of recovery doing all of the recovery actions, but being quite grumpy about it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I know people can relate to that. So how did you I mean, how did you keep going? I mean, on the one hand, I think that a lot of people who develop HA have this very driven type A perfectionistic personality, like I'm either going to do this like 120% or I'm not going to do it at all. And I think in hmm. some ways that can serve you really well. But walk us through the frustration and the doing the actions, but maybe hating it in the process. How did you keep going? I'm not just saying this to be like an advertisement for your group, but it it was the Food Freedom Fertility Group. Whether it was a call, whether it was the Facebook group, I also like cleared a lot of space for recovery. Uh, I was super lucky to be in a place where my husband was working full time and I could afford to take some time off. Uh, I ended up jumping back into a part-time job once I felt like I had recovery under my belt, but I created a lot of space to make it my number one. And I, I really, I think I did manipulate in a healthy way, the personality that I know that I have, that is this driven 120%. I was like, well, if this is who I am, let's like work with this and try to apply it here. Let me try to like win recovery. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, and I even appreciate what you said, because I had a very similar mentality of let's just do this. The more that I put into this, the quicker, like, let's get this over with, essentially, which, you know, recovery, as you probably know, now it is more of a journey. It's not like a, you know, go all in, get your period back in a week, and then, you know, you're done. Like, it is kind of an ongoing thing. But you put a lot in. And I think the people who are really able to flip that switch, and it's not an overnight process, but people who are able to flip that switch, can recover faster. And I think that that really played in your favor because Summer, you have the dream recovery story. You didn't even get a recovery period. You got a positive pregnancy test. So walk us through what that felt like. So nuts. So nuts. It's like my tampons are still (laughs) hanging out in like storage at this point because um, I haven't needed one in so long. Right. Yeah. It was amazing. It was amazing. And intentional to like of course I do feel like I won the lottery I do feel like I got lucky I remember literally bringing up with you in the discovery call I was like forget the period I'm interested in ovulation Um, most people are I think that that's one of the things that makes people really dedicated to the recovery process is they're ready to be a mom yesterday and I think it's encouraging to hear that that mentality can actually serve you really well in recovery yeah you know I was the cervical mucus was really easy to spot, you know, the ovulatory cervical mucus because it hadn't been around in so long Yeah, that I, you know, it was kind of easy to be like, Hey husband, I think something could be happening here. You feel like Uh, you, do you feel like you understood it better having gone through fertility treatment or did it feel like ovulation on a natural cycle? Was it more obvious or like what, are there any differences? Oh, I feel like it's 
completely different. Like the first step I'm remembering now, the first step to an egg retrieval is actually going on birth control to quiet your hormones is the word that they use. So, so yeah, there's like nothing similar. (laughs) (laughs) So that must have felt pretty exciting though, too, and empowering, right? Because I think that you you talked about the frustrations of doing the actions, hating the in-between, but then you start to see those signs of your body responding. Do you felt like that helped you to keep going? You mentioned community was really powerful, but what else kind of helped you to pull yourself out of the pit of this sucks, poor me, this isn't going to work? Right. I mean, I I think that's where you have to bring up faith, spirituality, religion, God, something like I am. I just pulled out my phone because I still have, this is actually from the Facebook group. Um, yeah. My favorite quote that you pulled from is happens to be from the Bible and really spoke to me and says, don't yield to fear or be troubled in your hearts. Instead, be courageous. And I, you know, I still have a little like screenshot of that. Oh my gosh. I love that. It's been my little mantra, like during this pregnancy, even because it was so amazing to see that positive pregnancy test and then get it confirmed um, by an OB, but it's the first trimester. And that which requires a ton of faith because that's the that's like the super scary part of pregnancy where you know if you are going to miscarry it's probably going to be during the first trimester um so it's like that faith muscle that I had started to build during recovery was kind of then just the beginning in a way Mm -hmm. and I still feel that now as I'm approaching labor and delivery where like anything could happen, you know, feel like I'm in great hands with a great team and have a great plan. But and then I'm sure as a parent, you still need it. Um, That you know, it's never going to go away needing this extra level of I don't know how it's going to work out if it's going to work out. But let me see if I can commit to what I feel like instinctively is the next right thing. Even if that's eating a bowl of granola. (laughs) You know, I think that's the next step. Yeah. I I think there are so many life lessons that can come from a recovery journey. And you're right that like, you know, you get your period back and then there's the anxiety of, you know, is it going to stay here? Or you get the positive pregnancy test and the anxiety of, am I going to miscarry? You get to your anatomy scan and everything looks healthy. (laughs) And, you know, am I going to bleed out and hemorrhage, you know, delivery? Like there's always something. And so the faith piece is huge. And I like have chills that you shared that verse. Um, It just makes me so happy. This is something that, you know, you haven't shared with me before. So this is just really special. And, you know, the reason why I love connecting people on similar journeys is because community was such a huge part of my journey. I think community is really vital during like lots of different phases, like you becoming a mom, right? Like, you know, you're going to want to have your mom community. And so community is, is huge. And being in the group, you know, I feel like maybe you found kind of some people you connected with more than others. That's, you know, natural and normal. But something I think that's a little bit unique to your story. I think so many people think that period loss with HA is always tied up to an eating disorder. But that wasn't really part of your story, right? Like you never really identified with the idea of having an eating disorder. So do you feel like that made it harder for you to eat the extra bowl of granola or take some of the recommendations of period recovery in terms of nutrition? Um, I mean, I never had body dysmorphia. So I could look in the mirror and be like, yeah, you're kind of scrawny. Like I could be honest with myself about yeah. that. 
which I think is unique too. But um, it definitely is because yeah. a lot of people that go through recovery feel like they're gaining air quotes so much weight. And in reality, they're just going from like a small to a medium. <laughs> right. You no. Know? And like when we look at like right. the average, you know, dress size for American woman is size 16. It's like, well, no, like you are not in a larger body, like grand scheme, although it might feel that way, but you didn't have that struggle. Where do you think you got stuck the most, especially working on your own in terms of recovery? Like giving it my best go, but not like, I feel like what your work does so well is you set up all of the things you need that are going to help you be successful. Like clean, listen, clean out your Instagram feed. You're going to need to buy new clothes at one point. Like just having you take me by the hand and everyone, everyone in our group, like being able to, like it was Thanksgiving. I think you were on maternity leave during that time, but I know Thanksgiving happened while I was in the program and just being like, all right, here are 14 other women around the country who are having a really weird Thanksgiving. Holidays are always hard. I think that that's something that, you know, I always like to take into account when I'm doing groups around the holidays is having extra support during those harder times. And everybody has harder times throughout the year. But yeah, like knowing that this is hard, but this is it this hard thing that I'm going through isn't unique to me. There are other people that are here with me. Yeah. And just ha- like having the mental structure, even of being like, here's what you're going to do. Here's what's going to get challenging about it. Here's what I recommend as far as like getting old clothes, like go ahead and donate them, donate them now, you know, get them out of your sight. And just those little things that make a world like throw away the scale we're actually not gonna weigh. i get why you'd want to you'd want to see if you're making progress but like no, don't recommend it you can if you want i've done a lot of this before though don't think it's a good idea <laughs> no i didn't have any of that working with the functional medicine doctor i i had them telling me literally i just remember this and it's just so funny to me of them being like just add in like some potatoes at dinner like that's <laughs> like i i was a hard gainer too like i had to go yeah. nuts <laughs> And I can never imagine of my functional medicine doctor being like, I think you should try having some Pop-Tarts. Yeah. yeah. I just can't imagine them saying that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, no, they wouldn't <laughs> They yeah. wouldn't say that. Yeah. And, you know, like, I think that part of recovery, this is like, you know, part of my mission is like to make food fun again. Right. So like, yeah. you know, do you need to eat a Pop-Tart to get your period back? No, but like <laughs> if you're having trouble eating 3000 calories, like a Pop-Tart's a drop in the bucket. And if you can't, uh-huh. that, why is that hard for you? Like, let's talk about that. So yes, it sounds like overall, like some of the things that you were lacking was just like, actually like the step to step-by-step implementation. You were told broad picture ideas from your functional medicine doctor, eat more. You were given a little bit of examples, but what you were really lacking was tools to work through the harder parts. If you really started eating more, that meant you felt uncomfortable in your body. Okay, so what do we do about that? Because if we continue to feel uncomfortable in our body without tools and support to work through that, well, then we're not going to keep going, right? So it sounds like what the group really provided for you was tangible tools to get through the discomfort and support to make sure that you felt seen, you felt heard, and you felt not alone. 
Yes. And like case studies are so important <laughs> for the way my mind works. Yeah. I mean, referring to like your clients, having people be in the group that were there, uh, that started before me. And then by the time it's my second week, they're like, oh my gosh, I got my first period, you know? So now it's not just these people I'm reading about in a book. It's, it's this person I've been on a call with. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. And then just like that hope of like, okay, like Two weeks ago, she was talking about how she couldn't, you know, eat a big breakfast. And here she is doing the hard thing and her period yeah. returned. So like, okay, yeah, that physical proof is huge. Let's wrap it up and end with this because like, my gosh, you're expecting a baby next month. Like, mm. talk to me a little bit more about how pregnancy has been. And do you have any kind of gems of wisdom from your recovery journey applied to pregnancy that like you mm. want to share and leave people with? I've actually been using a lot of what I found in my in my sort of like nourishment toolbox here in the third trimester because it's been stressful. I feel like my stomach space is really diminished because my uterus is taking over, which happens, I, I hear, and yes. it's my first pregnancy. But I feel like it happened way earlier than I thought it would. And yeah. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I gotta, I'm literally eating for two. You know, I need to make sure this little boy is getting enough. And so I'm totally, I'm so glad those, what I found really worked for me during recovery, which is like vegetables as a topping, <laughs> not like the main event, you like, know, even that, like maybe like we're not going hard on any sort of veggies right now because I want the calorie density because I don't got I don't have much room in there yeah and like smoothies are working really well for me right now and carbs to stimulate my like if we don't have that much space to eat food let's at least try to get the metabolism turning over faster and so carbs at every meal mm -hmm. veggie light I'm actually a like thinking about all in principles all the time and remembering like what worked really well for me. Also, no food rules is super helpful. Like a lot of my food rules just feel like kind of like food should. It's like, oh, let's prioritize this food first because it's going to go bad. You know, innocent things even. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but being like, hey, sweetie, if you want the granola, it's fine. <laughs> that can be lunch. It's, you know. Right. First lunch, mm -hmm. I, you know, I call it right now, like first breakfast, second breakfast, because yeah. my portions are like third, tri third trimester small, which was also like weirdly triggering because it felt like, am I restricting? Yeah. But no, my uterus is just dominating my stomach. Right, right. <laughs> but you, I love that though. So you've been able to take principles from, I mean, it's just everything in recovery can be, can be so purposeful. So you talked about the food rules. That's something that I work with clients a lot on in their first trimester because 80% of women have nausea to some degree. So like, even mm -hmm. if you want to eat very fresh, clean things in your first trimester, your body might be the, like, no bagels chips, yeah. cereal, like <laughs> you are probably going to be craving those things. Those are probably going to be the things that make the nausea feel better, not worse. Um, and so giving yourself permission to eat those foods during recovery, I think really paves a really not easy, but easier way into pregnancy. And then the third trimester thing as well, you know, you're smart already with how to maximize calories on a small amount of stomach space. So that's serving you well and nourishing your body, you know, properly for this pregnancy. Summer, what are you most excited about in terms of becoming a mom? Oh my gosh, so many things, but the very, the tangible one that comes to mind first is like just holding him in my arms, you know? I just want to like reach down and hold my belly right now. Yeah. Um, 
And I just, I'm, I'm just so excited to hold my baby. <laughs> yes. And after, after a journey like yours, like, I mean, it's just going to be, it sounds like we've gotten a lot out of recovery already, obviously with the pregnancy and just having a totally different mentality around food coming full circle on body image and holding your baby. It's just going to be the cherry on top of the Sunday. So thank you so much for your time and everything that you shared so openly about your fertility journey. I think it's going to help a lot of people in number one, relating, and then maybe also like taking some information they didn't know about IVF, about how HA can manifest in different types of stories. So I so appreciate you being open and sharing everything. Of course, of course. I hope it wasn't too long-winded. No, it's great. Chapters. And most importantly, you know, we wish you safe and healthy delivery in like a month. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. September 13th is the ETA. We just got our car seats, which make it feel very like, yes, there's going to be someone in this riding in this. Yes, yes. You're in the home stretch. Well, thanks again, Summer. And I can't wait to air this episode for everybody. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. If you found this episode to be inspiring or helpful, please share on social media and tag me at food.freedom.fertility. Also, don't forget to leave a rating and a review.